Maybe I won't blow up now that I've turned all these switches on. You know that you're either going to lean forward and listen or lean back and go to sleep when I bring my Bible up here. Um, we're in a passage of scripture that should be simple, but <laughs> um, man-made tradition and denominationalism over a period of hundreds of years have complicated the scripture. And hopefully we're just going to uncomplicate it today if I make it that far. It's my plan to preach through verse 10. So let's get right to it. Would you open God's precious holy word to Ephesians chapter 4? And we've come to verse 7. The first three chapters of Ephesians regard our position in Christ. So Ephesians 1, 2, and 3 teach us of our positional life in Christ. God has done something for us that we cannot do for ourselves, namely, he has positioned us, he has placed us in Christ, and this is something that is from before the foundation of the world, and all that is taught to us. I'm not going to re-preach those sermons. Now the last half, Ephesians 4, 5, and 6, now that we know who we are in Christ, the last three verses, the, first, the first, last three chapters, the first three being positional, the last three being practical. So this is how you should live. Did you know we're going to learn here that, <laughs> that, that God assumes that responsibility as well? Uh, so we just rest in Christ uh, in faith. And we're attentive, of course, to Bible study and uh, prayer. And there's something that the Holy Spirit does through us and in us, us and with us in our Christian life that happens because of Christ in us. We are in Christ by his Holy Spirit. Christ is in us. So we just trust and have faith and stay in communication with God by prayer and Bible study and in fellowship with one another so that we are held accountable. And all of our lives, God is doing something through us. All of our lives. Now, as we get to this part of Ephesians chapter 4, let me give you a basic overview of what we will be looking at so that we can stay focused. Christ has ascended to heaven to give us gifts. In Christ, there's saving grace and there's serving grace. So now we're looking at Serving grace. Back in Ephesians 2, you saw saving grace. By grace are you saved through faith and so forth. Now it's serving faith. Christ died on the cross and there 
He paid the penalty for our sins. Now he has ascended and he has given us gifts. And an, over, an overarching theme here is unity in the body. You remember back in the first three we saw about how Christ has a body, the body of Christ. And we're to be unified. We are all part of the body of Christ. And so there's a great theme of unity here with regard to the body of Christ. So in that unity, there is diversity. Diversity in gifts. So the ascended Christ in this section we're looking at here. Now in another section, we can see that he intercedes for us. He's keeping us saved while he's in heaven. But here in this portion, we're learning about the Christ who gives gifts to his church, to his body. It's as though as the father said, son, here's the body. You dress that body up and you give gifts to your body and you do to your body what you need to do that your body will glorify us into the ages of the ages. And so Christ is giving gifts to his church. We'll stay there in just a second. I want to submit this to you. I'm going to guess. Now, when I pass by Christ, when I sit down and talk with Christ someday, I'll say a lot of things and Christ will say, no, you're wrong there. And then you'll say, no, you're right there. And, you know, I'm prepared for that. But in this one, I'm going to say that probably most Christians live their lives and die without ever knowing how they were gifted. Now think about that. Now it's not, it's not, <laughs> oh, I think the job of Christian publications is to sell stuff. It's a for-profit thing. Now if it's a non-profit thing, they, they, you know, they have to give it away and then take contributions to cover the cost. But I remember a time when in Southern Baptist churches, it was a real popular thing to take your spiritual gifts test. Well, that's the silliest thing I've ever heard of. That's like a Ouija board. You can make that thing say anything you want to. So a person here, oh, well, I'm, you know, I believe since the gifts of the Spirit place the evangelist above the pastor, at least in the way that it's written, I believe I'm an evangelist. Therefore, give me that thing. Let me fill it out. You know, you can, you can trick those things, right? So throw those things away. I say most Christians probably live their lives not really knowing what their gifts are. Because Christ is doing, it's not a work that you command yourself to do. I can tell you from experience, it is something that Christ does through you works in you, and then works out through you this gift. And it is, and most of us will do this, will we'll, we'll perform 
not even realizing that we are performing for Christ, not even realizing that we're doing something that is our gift. It's just natural to who we are. We are saved to serve. That's what Ephesians 2 taught us. By grace, unto good works. So it's built into the package. You are hardwired to glorify God and to work out your salvation. And the beautiful thing is that Christ gives you the gift and the Holy Spirit starts cranking you up to do the work. And most of the time, you're just doing something because it's who you are as a Christian. You know, really think about how, you know, this is my gift. Now, you have this, the funny thing about that test was, it is assumed that in those passages of Scripture where the gifts are mentioned, gifts are mentioned, it is assumed, (laughs) pardon me, it is assumed that that is the exhaustive list of Christian graces or, or, or Christian gifts. As you got, you know, 15, 16, whatever, how many are there are in those couple of passages of Scripture? Oh, okay. I got to choose from these. It's not that way. The ascended Christ gives gifts to his church for the sake of unity and growth. Now, when I say growth, I'm not talking about numerical growth here. I'm talking about spiritual growth. That you will grow into a, as another portion says, into a full man. That you will grow into a full, fully mature person. And the beautiful thing is, this is a work of Christ and his Holy Spirit. So, so here we are in the church. There is a serving grace, the ascended Christ. If you are in Christ I say to you by the authority of the word of God, you have been gifted. Some of us will see you do things and it'll seem so routine that we won't really recognize that this is a gift that Christ has given to you. People do things and work for the Lord in a local church that I have no interest in. None at all. I do things that others don't have interests in. And somehow Christ puts that all together. So the truth is that the ascended Christ, a big reason for his ascension is to give gifts, spiritual gifts to his church, to each of us individually to each of us. Now, let's look at verse seven. This is Paul. He's setting the church up here to talk about practically living, living practically as a Christian in this world. But he does a beautiful thing and says, Christ has already taken care of you. When I was growing up, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14. I would have never, if an angel from God had appeared to me and I'm 14 years old, mean as a snake, 
And he stops me and he says, someday, you're going to be standing for, before people in church and you will be preaching the gospel and teaching the Bible. And from time to time, you'll sing solos. And you'll have to lead and sometimes you'll have to make hard decisions. That 14-year-old boy would have disappeared into the woods never to be seen again. I mean, I just couldn't have accepted that. Of course, it took the events of life and the maturing work of the Holy Spirit of God in my life to bring me to the point. My guess is there are people here today, and I've had them tell me, there's no way I could get up there and do what you do. Well, if God gifted you, let me tell you, I could say to you, well, there's no way I could do what you do. <laughs> You'll take a stinking kid home if I'm in the nursery. I won't change him. <laughs> that's, just, that's just a fact. It ain't there. There's a dark hole there where there's supposed to be. Pat and I had an agreement when we started having kids. I was raising Irish wolfhounds. I said, here's the deal. I'll keep the dog pen clean and you change the kids. You remember? That's the way it was. She happily agreed. She has a gift that I don't have. Well, I love my kids and if they were dirty, I'd throw them in the water and see what happened. But, uh, <laughs> We have separate and various gifts. Thank God for the diversity in the unity of the body of Christ. It is a miracle of God that it works that way. So let's look at it. Now grace has been given to each one of us. None of us in Christ is left out. You are not left out when it comes to this. If you're in Christ, you're not left out. This is you, this is me. To each one of us, according to the measure of the gift of Christ. He measures by grace. I call, I call it serving grace. He measures to you a gift by his grace. So a person says, well, what, what, what about this gift? What, what am I? Here's, here's the deal. Get saved, go to church, and start doing something. You'll find it. It'll be there. You'll find yourself winding down a lonely road that nobody else wants to walk down because that's where Christ has put you, and you're happy there. Doing whatever it is. Just do something. You don't have to stand up and say and proclaim, my gift is this. You don't have to, you know, you don't have to do that. It'll work itself out. It's to the glory of Christ, not to your glory. You, we don't have any glory. We have to throw those crowns back to Jesus when we get there because we wouldn't have had them in the first place if not for him. And that's the way it will be in the time of rewards. Now, according to the measure of the gift of Christ, therefore, now when Paul says this, here's the deal. When Paul says this, he says, he says, I'm going to teach you what I'm talking about from the scriptures. Therefore, 
It says, okay, now he goes to Psalm 68 and verse 18. Having ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. All right. You see the word gave? Inspired by the Holy Spirit of God, teaching the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, the application of Psalm 68 verse 18 to us and to the church. Paul was inspired to change the word received in Psalm 68 to the word gave here. Now we're going to find out why. It's, it's, it's profoundly simple. Okay, now here, now mine is verse 19 because it comes from the Hebrew text and they number their verses different. But in your Bible, it'll be verse 18. You ascended, now this is the triumphant, God is seen as a triumphant warrior. Let me give you the, let me give you the overview of the meaning of it. God is seen as the one who fights for Israel. Israel cannot fight, cannot win unless God comes down. And he comes down and he gives them the victory. And then he goes back up. He ascends. He descends and then he ascends. Okay, so here it is. Paul, in order for the church to understand that our practical living is only possible because Christ has gifted us. So he, he, he references this. You ascended on high. You led your captives captive. You have received. Now there's the word received. You have received gifts from among men, even from among rebellious ones for, Elohim, uh, for the Lord God, for the Lord God to dwell there. All right. You cannot understand this completely unless you, under, unless you have read and studied Numbers chapters 8 and 18. I'm going to summarize that for you. God says, he's talk, he tells Moses, here's what he, you know, he says, okay. I'm going to receive the Levites from among the sons of Israel. They are going to serve the sons of Israel. So I'm going to then give them back to the sons of Israel that they might serve Israel. Now the Levites, of course, that was the priesthood. So in Numbers 8 and 18 is the principle of what is being talked about in the 18th verse of Psalm 68 and then given over to our Ephesians chapter 4. God, God will receive the Levites. Now having received them, he makes it clear and he makes the law plain about what their duties are. And then he gives them back to the sons of Israel. So that they can serve Israel in the priesthood. Now, you ascended on high, led your captives captive, received gifts from among men. That's like, you know, 
having won a war, having descended to do a battle, having won the war, now receiving the gifts from among men, even from among rebellious ones, from Yah, for Yah Elohim, or for the Lord God to dwell there. Okay, now, verse 9. Paul continues to apply and to teach the 18th verse of Psalm 68 by applying it to what he's talking about regarding the ascended, descended, and ascended Christ. And he ascended. What is if not that he also descended into the lower parts of the earth? And he ascended. Well, he wouldn't have ascended. It wouldn't be ascending unless he had already descended. That's the only way that you can contrast those two words. So, from his lofty place, he ascended. He, he ascended down from where he was and descended into the lower parts of the earth. I'm going to stop there. Now that begs the question because of what a lot of people have been taught through the years. Did Jesus descend into hell? Do you read that there? Does that what it say? Is that what it says? Literally. Now we're literalists. We're going to get into some creedalism here. Baptists are not creedalists, thank God in heaven. And you won't find in the London Baptist Confession of Faith, which is very important to me, 1689. You won't find when he talks about the death, burial, and resurrection, you won't find anything that even, even hints that Christ went to hell. You won't find it there. Well, how in the world do people look at that and say, Lord, pardon, this, is, this is so simple it's almost like we just ought to adjourn and go home because we ought to already know what it says. Now, this is where I have to get into my other Hebrew passages and a couple of, I didn't want to have 58 slides flipping around there. So where shall I start? Let's, I'm going to go to Philippians 2. An overarching theme, an over, overviewing theme here is unity of the body of Christ. We've already studied that and it goes into Ephesians 4 from Ephesians 3. Now, Paul writes something of the same thing to the Philippians in chapter 2 and it begins in verse 5. Let this mind be in you which also was in Christ Jesus who in the, listen, who in the form of God. That's as high as you can get. When he descended, he ascends back to the glory, the form of God, the right hand of the majesty. Who in the form of God, who existing, I'm sorry, who existing in the form of God, considered equality with God, did not consider equality with God something to be held on to at all costs, something to be grasped. The big picture. The covenant between the Father and the Son. Ephesians 1 and 2. The elect given to the Son before the foundation of the world. 
the gift of the Father to the Son. In that covenant, the Son declares he'll do whatever he has to do to receive this gift and to have it forever. So now he's in the form of God. He's equal with God. He is the Godhead. He is, in the, he is God the Son. He didn't consider that equality something to be held on to at all costs. But emptied himself, having taken the form of a servant in the likeness of men, having been made in the likeness of men, gnominos, having been made in the likeness of men, and having been found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself. He descended long way. He humbled himself, having become obedient to death, the grave, death. The death even of the cross. Therefore, God highly exalted him. Now he has ascended. He was up there. He descended even into the earth. But now he has ascended. God highly exalted him and granted to him the name above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in the heavens and on the earth and under the earth and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now that's how Paul says it to the Philippians. This is how he says it to the Ephesians. The reason we say he ascended is because he didn't start out here. He started out way up there. Equal with God. At the right hand of the majesty. And he ascended. Now he's quoting Psalm 68. If we say that, how do we say that unless he also descended and he descended so far that he descended even to the lower parts of the earth. Now, how do people, how do people get out of that that Christ went to hell? Well, they take this thing, the, uh, the Greek text here, uh, well, uh, that he went into some netherworld and that first appeared, let me tell you this. This first appeared, this thing about Christ descending into hell, it was never part of Christian writing or, or literature until the Apostles' Creed. I got to tell you about the Apostles' Creed. I pastored a church one time, you in the foyer, grand foyer, beautiful. And I'm trying to think how big the Apostles' Creed was in a frame. Man, that thing was like nine feet tall and four and a half. It was huge. And it was written in this old English script, the Apostles' Creed. Now, Baptists are not creedalists. I, we are sola scriptura, 
Scripture only. Don't give me no man-made stuff. Give me the Bible. Now that, that Apostles' Creed had that thing about, you know, let's see, he was, he, he was crucified, buried, and descended into hell. So, now that never was part of any Baptist confession of faith. Never. It has its roots in Catholicism and Lutheranism. I, I could go deeper into that, but who cares? So, the funny thing about this Apostles' Creed is on down there, it said that, you know, I, my covenant is that I will not, I will not indulge in alcohol and I won't sell it or buy it. Something like that. It's something like that on down there. One of the main deacons of the church. This is always funny to me. I never laughed at it in his face, but it was funny. was the general manager of the largest chain grocery store in that area where we lived. Huge. I mean, it had a deli, a bakery. I don't know. It may have had a barbershop and a massage parlor. I don't know. It didn't. But anyway, it had everything that you could want in a grocery store. Big old huge thing. Stayed busy all the time. Parking lot always full. And one of my deacons managed that thing. And that store sold wine. I can't remember if it sold beer or not, but it sold wine. And I always thought of that every time I saw that big creed thing up there. You know, I, I, before God in heaven, I will never indulge. I'll never buy it. I'll never sell it. Okay. I don't like creeds. I like the Bible. So here... The earliest, and we have this, we have this recorded. I could take you to it. Hundreds of the apostles. Here's what people say, oh, that's the Apostles' Creed. This meant that this is, this is near to the apostles' teaching. This is the doctrine of the apostles. What was the apostles taught, taught in the early, early church? No, it's not. Because the earliest of the apostles' creeds reads, reads like this. He was crucified, he died, and he was buried. That's what it says in the earliest ones. In about the 5th century A.D., it was changed. Now, would you permit me? And you know that I'm losing my mind when I do something like this, but um, let's see. This is in Ephesians 4. So I want to go here. Don't leave or you'll miss something. The first translation of the original Greek text was into the Latin. It's called the Vulgate. All right. Corotim ascendit quid est nisi et descendit primum in inferiores partes. Terre. And what is terra? Terra. Earth, right? 
in the fifth, around the fifth century, they took that Latin inferiores, which is inferior part, partes terra of the earth. It's the same thing as Sheol in the Old Testament, which is the grave, the place where you're buried. And some smart guy changed the Apostles' Creed, and we have it in historical documentation where the change came. When it, when it came, when it came is what I mean to say. Fifth century, so I did. And he changed that in inferioris partes tere out of the Latin into meaning hell. Hell. Now, if you, if you take the Old Testament and you consider the translation of the word sheol and they translate it hell, that means the grave. That's what it means in the Old Testament. But we have three words for hell in the New Testament, that's the beauty of the Greek text. It's Hades, Tareth, Gehenna. But none of those mean the grave. Okay? Now, the change came to meaning he descended into hell by some group of priests or whatever in the 5th century A.D. So somehow people look at this, oh, Jesus descended into, Jesus went to hell. No, he didn't. From his highest above all sovereign rule to redeem his own, he did not think for a second that it was so important to hold on to who he was in that position. He laid it aside, volunteer. He laid it aside. He became a man and died a death, even the death of the cross he was buried. He died a death. So he, he, he was in glory. He condescended in incarnation, made flesh. And in being having made flesh, even... Even the flesh was humiliated and it died and was buried. That's how far he came from there to a grave. Even the death of the cross. Okay. So he ascended, but we couldn't say he ascended unless we understand that he first descended even into the grave. Lower parts of the earth. Now, another thing that people, I'm going to throw this in. I, I didn't know if I'd do this or not, but I'm, this, is, this, won't, this won't cost you an extra nickel or anything. Um, I'm over in 1 Peter 3. This is another way that people may think they know what they're talking about. Um, let's see. It's hard to find the... All right, here we go. Maybe this is where it starts. I think it's your verse 18 in 1 Peter 3. Because also Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, or righteous for unrighteous, so that he may bring you to God. 
having indeed been put to death in the flesh, having been made alive, however, now. Oh, stay with me, would you? The direct object's noun. It's in the dative. Now that's a Koine Greek thing, but please, because I think this is important. You should never think that Christ has gone to hell. You should never think that. This is the other place where people may say, well, Christ went to hell. And some say, well, there were three reasons, and one of them is too heretical for me to even mention. The other one is says, well, he went down there to proclaim victory to those who were already in hell. Nah, 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 boo, boo. You were told I was coming. So kind of like that, you know, in victory. While he was in the grave, he somehow went down into hell and preached a, preached a final message that you ain't ever going to be saved. And then there's nothing like that. Here's what it says. Having been made alive, however, it's in the dative. It's called an instrumental dative. It's not a, it's, 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 it's a, it's a dative of means and not a dative of sphere. If it's a dative of means, you have to translate it like this. Made alive, however, by the spirit. Therefore, the identifying preposition or the modifying preposition which follows also has to be translated by. So it looks like this. Having been put to death indeed in the flesh, having been made alive, however, by the spirit or by the flesh, by the spirit, by which also um, having gone into the prison he preached to spirits. Having disobeyed at one time when God was long suffering in the days of Noah. Now you go on down here and here's what people say. Well, if you look at it and you don't understand the dative and the declension of a noun in Koine Greek, here's what you, here's what you say. You say. Oh, he was in the spirit. Christ was in, he was dead, but he was in his spirit. And he went down and he preached to the pre-flood world. Souls who were in prison as though he was going to get them saved. That's not what it means. If you go, I'm not going to go over here, but it also says in Peter, in this general context, that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. The spirit of Christ through Noah and also Enoch, according to Jude, preached to the pre-flood world and now they're in hell. But his spirit even preached to them. The spirit of Christ. We can't really be a preacher of righteousness if we don't have the spirit of Christ. He's the one who makes us righteous. How will you define righteousness without Christ? So, Ephesians 4 and 1 Peter 3 are two places where people just jump up and down thinking that Jesus went to hell. He did not. Now, we're back. You will be relieved. No, you won't because I have one more passage. And he ascended. Well, if he ascended, he had to have descend. Now, remember what it said? 
And it says, Paul says he gave gifts. The psalmist says he received gifts. The principle of God receiving and then giving for the edification of his people is established in Numbers 8 and 18. So let me look at one more thing here. In Acts chapter 2, Peter preaches to the crowd on the day of Pentecost. All right. Uh, I hope I can. I think it's way on that. Ah, here we go. So Peter's preaching about Jesus to the crowd. Therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of God and having received the promise of the Spirit from the Father, he has poured this out, which you are seeing and hearing today. Okay, now back to Ephesians 4. You can relax a little bit because I'm about to close my Bible and go to the screen. And he ascended. What is it not that he also descended? In other words, this means he descended into the lower part of the earth. He came so far, he even died. It was placed in the grave. The one having descended, the same one is also uh, is also one having ascended above all the heavens so that he might fill all things. What God did with the Levites, he, take, he took the Levites, gave instructions for them. He gave them back to his people to serve them. Acts 2 says this is what Christ did with the Holy Spirit. He ascended 10 days between his ascension and Pentecost. 10 days. He ascended on the day of Pentecost. Having received the promise, now he gives the promise of the Spirit from the Father. Now he gives the Spirit to the church. Now in giving to the Spirit of the church, he gives us gifts, each one of us. We're gifted. It's a grace. It's a serving grace. It's a wonderful and beautiful thing that God himself has assumed the responsibility to give it to us and then to work it out in our lives. As surely as we're saved, we're saved to good works. To do good things for Christ. So, let me... Uh, Let's see. Can I do this? Yeah. Let me start with the first thing I started with and read verses 7 through 10. Now grace has been given to each one of us according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Therefore it, Psalm 68, verse 18, says, Having ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. And he ascended. What is it if not that he also descended into the lower parts of the earth? The one having descended, the same is also one having ascended 
above all the heavens so that he might fill all things. Still explaining to the people who we are in Christ. The profound riches that are ours in Christ. Now teaching, drawing upon Psalm 68, that the warrior God descends from his high and holy place to be with his people, to help his people, and to do what is necessary to win the victory for his people. And then having taken the spoils of it, having redeemed his own, having died the death so that his own could come to him, now he ascends back. Where? Above all the heavens so that he might fill all things. Back to the right hand of the majesty in his ascension. It's a rather simple teaching to me. He was way yonder in a place I cannot go. I cannot know for it's God's place. But he laid that aside and did what he had to do to redeem me, even by dying and being put in the grave. Such condescension, the incarnation, the humiliation of the Christ, God the Son. But then, having gathered those who were captives and made them his own, took them. We're his. We're redeemed. Now, having accomplished what he would do for those who were otherwise exiles, having redeemed us, now he goes back to that great, high, lofty place of the Godhead above all the heavens. And he fills all things. He is sovereign. He is King of kings, Lord of lords. He is mighty God. He is everlasting Father, Prince of peace. He's my Savior. And having ascended, he gave me serving grace. And the power of his spirit unctions me, provides opportunities for me, takes me one step at a time, and I grow and I mature in what he intends for me to do. Until the last of the time. And then I'm in his presence forever. Well, that's what that verse means. I hope you are not more confused than you were. Um, don't worry about a dative in the declension of nouns because the dative doesn't exist in English. <laughs> Thank God in heaven. All right. Thank you for being here. Listen to me. Christ died to save you. He lives to keep you. And he's coming again for you. And I have to tell you, I hope and pray and believe it's very soon when he comes again. The appeal is this. You have three needs. Number one, to be saved. Only Jesus can save you. If you sense the call of God in your life to be saved, we want to help you with that. You have a second need. Once that you've been saved, you should be obedient to Christ. To the great commission that you would be baptized. Now that's not the baptism that saves you, but it is a very important first step of obedience, in my view, of a Christian life. 
If you've been saved and you've never been baptized, we can help you with that. And finally, if you need a church home where people fellowship together and we have responsibility and love for one another and we feast on the Word of God, we'd love to have you at Shiloh. And the details of church membership are available to you. And here's how you get all three of those. Our deacons and their wives, some of our deacons and their wives, will be in rooms right across the hallway as you exit. You'll see them standing in the doorways. And you walk in there, tell them that you need to receive Christ, that you have received Christ, but you'd like to be baptized, or that you have received Christ and you'd like to become a part of Shiloh. This is how we, this is how we extend to you our invitation. And that's how you respond, okay, here at Shiloh. Thank you for being here. God bless you. Stand up, would you? And let's be dismissed in prayer. Father God in heaven, we marvel at your word. We marvel at what Christ has done for us. His great condescension, even into the grave, to die for us. And then his glorious ascension that he would pay attention even to the smallest detail of giving us gifts of grace that we might serve in this life. Strengthen us in the knowledge of your scripture. Help us to be obedient to you and use us for your glory, please, always. And thank you for the opportunity we've had today to meet and study your word. All of this we bring up to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for being here. God bless you.